Trigger warning. Anti-religious sentiments are expressed in this episode. If you get super mad when people say not nice things about churchy stuff, you may find this episode offensive. I love to sing, mm-hmm, yeah. I love to dance, watch me tap my toes. I love to smile, smile, smile. I love to laugh. Ain't nobody gonna stop me, not me I'm gonna let my soul fly free, fly free Can't nobody stop me now I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get out Cause I am so brave I titled it, What Makes Me Free And then it became the subject matter of a knowledge of self so anything that wrote about how to better oneself, like self-help book, black history books, religious books, astrology books, sites, and anything like that, I dug it up. Knowing that, um, that I'm sensitive to the energy around me, um, having a sense of self or having a stronger sense of self through those knowledge, like the, the self-help books, the black history books, the religious books, the astrology books, it helped me to create a balance in my physical world. So now I can add more things into my life. I can take on extra jobs or I can um, add more sports or add more, I don't know, creativity to things because knowing myself through those mediums or those examples, they made it easy, easier to balance as I moved. And when I felt the pressure of having too much knowledge of self or too much astrology or whatever, I would let it go. And then same in the physical. If I was doing too much physical work, then I would also let that go. That's what drove me to continue each day and today um, outside of school because of who I felt I am and the continued wanting to know what that meant to me. Like I had an energy or a feeling of me being different, but I didn't know what that meant. So going out of myself and learning about the world around me through those mediums helped. NPR voice, yeah. Yeah. Fair of the Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers black and brown people's voices and experiences in discussions about unconventional parenting. With a particular interest in the self-directed education, also known as unschooling movement, Akila S. Richards and special guest co-hosts will discuss the fears and the fairs of raising liberated children of color in a world that tends to diminish, dehumanize, and disappear them. Using storytelling, interviews, commentary, and open conversation, Fair of the Free Child will explore the radical idea that people of color and the children they love can simply be themselves together. This will not be your typical story about an educational journey. Even though this episode is about an adult who embraces unschooling, we will not be discussing a step-by-step process about how a child who was unschooled grew into adulthood. Instead, we're going to talk about a being who went from feelings of lovelessness that spiraled all the way into an attempted suicide, use learning as a primary tool for self-exploration, which led to self-love and fatherhood and now an ever-evolving state of thrive. The voice you heard at the top of this episode was that of one of my brothers. I have three. And this one, his name is Howard. He is the one with whom I've spent the most time. 
we are about three years apart and we just make space for each other in our lives. And it's my absolute pleasure to do so because he's amazing. (laughs) Howard is a network engineer. He's an accomplished martial artist. He's a certified parkour trainer. He's a yoga enthusiast, a wonderful father, and just deeply involved in so many levels of time-consuming work. He tends to go for mastery in what he does. And um, I think he's just a great example of how we learn outside of the structure of school. Howard is one of those people that most people will find intense. He's a deep dive type of being. He's also the voice thanking you for listening at the end of every episode of this podcast. I asked Howard to send me an audio message about how learning happens for him. I told him about an idea I had, which is what you're listening to now, exploring how interesting grown-ups learn things outside of school. So what you heard was his response. And I think it's perfect here because one, it explores how he can become so incredible at so many time-consuming things. And two, Howard was how I met Karan, who is my co-facilitator for this episode. This series of episodes, any of them that begin with adult unschoolers in the title, it's part of a larger mission to help us get more comfortable releasing the reins of parenting and allowing young people to be freely themselves and to trust that learning happens organically. So this series is essentially to demonstrate for you how learning happens. And as you start to look at that, I think we'll start to see over time that These traits are not unique to adults. They're actually just human traits and that they actually start in childhood so that we can start to understand how learning happens and feel less fear around giving children space to actually learn. So that's what this series of episodes are all about. And the engine for this particular episode is powered by a 27-year-old man who started out as a little Trinbagonian boy. That's a boy from Trinidad and Tobago, translation. (laughs) So started out as this little Trini boy who wanted to own himself, right? So he goes through this process of recognizing that he wants to own himself and recognizes how the power of making a decision and being connected to his personal why can help him be really good at learning anything that he set his mind to. So that's Karan's story. And he's also a parent of a four-month-old girl and a believer in unschooling. He himself is now in the throes of de-schooling his relationship with his body and his spirit so that he can continue to build upon the web of resources that he's been using to pull himself from spaces where he lacks self-love and into a space where he understands how he works and how he can go from being curious about a thing to embodying it completely. So coming up on this episode of Fear of the Free Child, I break bread with Karan Kajadar, an artist and movement trainer who was based in Atlanta, but now goes wherever his process takes him. He is my co-facilitator for today's episode, and I'm so excited to share his perspectives and knowledge with you. In this episode, we address the fear of what might happen if we don't control children through religion and rules and physical consequence. And we discuss the fare we pay, both as children and adults, when we use fear instead of self-discovery as our compass. So grab a cup of something, something, y'all. Get comfy and let's go deep because this is some grown-ass cosmic conjuring. Good, good. I promise.
My name is Karan, and I am from Trinidad and Tobago. I was born in D.C., and my parents moved back to Trinidad about a year after. I was fashioned in the fire in the Caribbean, <laughs> and I moved to the U.S. when I was 13. Oh, boy. <laughs> that culture shock hit me like, whoa. <laughs> We okay. moved to Sham Shambly, Georgia. Okay, okay. So you've been in ATL for a while. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 27. Okay. Who are you now? Tell me a little bit about um what you do. Like, how do you spend your days and, and what matters right now to Quran? I am a channel. And I realized that the capacity for information and expansion that I've desired all my life came at the cost and the economy of being brave enough to stand alone for extended periods of time. And that solitude is really the, the journey between two selves. There was the old Quran, and in order to gain the capacity of the one that I knew I could be, there was a little bit of uh, 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of like, yay, do I walk to take it alone? But I'm on the other side of that now. So I'm just like aligning with new people, making new friends, coming into new capacities of my power. And I just had to do never ending story thing and just trust <laughs> and just walk through the gate. <laughs> I wake up, I feed in every sense of the word. Like I wake up and I listen to this track by Neuro Beats, um, listen to a little Napoleon Hill, Neville Goddard. Yo, like I'm I'm like a transmission tower. Like I just download information. I'm a walking terabyte. So I download whether it's from a lecture, a video, a book, a quote, down a direct download where I have to sit there and channel and then write out what's being channeled to me and then reread it for myself because I'm not always present when I'm channeling. I train. I try to put in at least like two miles barefoot a day, just walking. I haven't been doing any parkour training necessarily daily because I'm in this like energy storage period because I'm about to do something. I'm about to sh uh, shoot a show reel and I'm going to need a rather intense amount of energy for it. So I've just been collecting. I sunbathe a lot. I do palo. Um, I do some deep breathing exercises, diaphragmic breathing exercises that I found I'm learning how to understand or feel for chi through breathing. And so that's, that is a current homework that I do every day now. And as it continues, I'm getting stronger, more flexible, more balanced. I'm really learning it from the ground up. Like the birth of martial arts, I don't remember the name of the guy, but he went in a cave and meditated for eight years. And then he came out like whooping ass. <laughs> <laughs> so... I feel like this period where my daily practice now is to play with the subtle energy. That's everything from walking, climbing, hiking, deep breathing exercises, palo, drinking the sun, communicating with the grass, standing in the dirt and feeling my chi shift from limb to limb as I punch. Like my daily homework right now is playing with amplifying and learning how to understand and communicate with the subtle energies. A lot of people, they see learning and progress as something that you're taught how to do. You go to school from the very beginning, from you're about five or six years old, you go to school and you get learned on. People give you information and show you how to be. That's the general social sentiment. But for some of us, most of us, perhaps that's not how it works. 
you develop a sense of curiosity and then you go down that path and then learning is a very natural byproduct of just living and being curious. And I, I feel like for you in particular, Karan, I think that's something that you've embodied, a sense of personal leadership that has to do with curiosity and not being afraid of the rabbit hole and going out to find the things that feed your curiosity. Would you say that's a true statement? Yes, very much so. And um, there was a journey to this point because as I grew, as I learned more, my entire personality started to change. You know, we all have a list of things that we'd say, you know, I'm not into that or I'm not the kind of person that will do that thing. And I found that my drive or my enthusiasm to expand, to understand, to learn, to change, that sort of blew any preference out of the water. Because the way I saw it and the way that my brain works and I calculate things is if I don't have the result that I want, then a portion, a fraction of my qualities are keeping me from that place. So that means that I have to give up those qualities and adopt some new ones in order to progress. I hear that. Let's back up to maybe pre-progress. So I know my introduction to you was through my brother, through Howard, and through, I know parkour was one of the earliest spaces where I saw you showing up. I'm very, I have like a radar for what I call my tribe, people who just we build ourselves or we shed the other things so that ourselves can show up. And it's a continual process. And we value individuality as well as aspects of community. So can you talk to me a little bit about your journey to parkour specifically? Why that space and what did it feed for you? Parkour is a training discipline using movement that developed from military obstacle course training. Practitioners aim to get from one point to another in a complex environment without equipment and in the fastest and most efficient way possible. Parkour includes running, climbing, swimming, vaulting, jumping, rolling, quadruplatic movement, and other movement is deemed most suitable for the situation. If you go online, that's what you'll get. Pretty straightforward definition of parkour. But as you do it, you'll learn more of yourself and more of the world around you and how you physically interact with that world. For me, that's the lesson I continue to learn every day when I participate in the movement that is parkour. Funny enough, I used to call it training. Now it's just maintaining. It's a consistency that is a part of my breathing, a part of my everyday life. That's love for me. That's how I express my physical love, by connecting and linking these moves so they flow. It teaches me to love myself more with all my pros and cons, ups and downs, ins and outs, rights and wrongs. Because it's not about perfection, it's about consistency. That's my parkour. One of the things that stand out most prominently to me now about that experience and that, that change and that learning experiences, I think I'm just now noticing it as you're asking me. But when I make up my mind to do something, it's like, Reality warps around me. It won't happen until I make a decision. It won't happen until I make up my mind. And it's strange because it's almost as if like my ability to learn or do something or expand is always there, but I will never, I wouldn't say never, but I rarely see how it unfolds. I rarely see where I'm going to get the tools or resources from until I cross the threshold of, okay, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> and then 
show up because with parkour, I'd known about it for like three years prior to actually starting or trying stuff out. And it came from a place of, I mean, it's explained so many other ways, but it came from a place of lack of self-love because when I first found out about it, I was like, this is amazing. This sounds like it was made for me. I'm sure I'm gonna, I can excel at this. But I didn't start for three years because I thought I would look strange, you know, running around by myself, jumping off of stuff. And, and then to be quite honest, I was completely ignorant of the remaining racial tensions in the U.S. So in my pocket of fear, it did not include wondering if I was going to be like, I don't know, shot because I, you know, it looked, what I was doing looked strange. Like I was, I don't know, well, why are you running? Why are you jumping off of this thing? Did you just steal something? Like none of that entered my mind. It was, it was as simple as fearing judgment of others for doing a different thing. With parkour and even like me meeting Howard, it's like after I made up my mind, I don't know if you're familiar with Napoleon Hill. I and am. Mm-hmm. The mastermind process Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like that it's like after i make a decision to do something uh, like a mastermind opens up between myself and i guess the rest of the universe and so i have like this burning desire like this hot pilot light just switched on and then everything starts to like buckle twist and move around (laughs) so that whatever it is that i'm designing or working on and learning gets more resources and i mean i I literally made up my mind and about a week later a friend tells me hey you're doing that parkour stuff aren't you yeah right hey you should um hook up with my friend uh max and i was like cool so i go on there i message max on facebook i find him but it turns out that he left the city at that point but in the pictures with max is this other dude named Howard, and I was like, why does he look like one of my uncles? <laughs> but he does parkour, and he's Jamaican, man, get out of here. Is this a rap? <laughs> you know, that's how that, that connection was made. So I met up with him a few days later in Decatur, and he showed me around his route and some of the basic moves and the breakdowns. And I mean, that was it. But it was like, as soon as I make a decision, like, all these Tetris walls move and then I just find people or things or books or resources. And it, it can be kind of scary because, you know, you, you do end up looking kind of crazy to everybody else, but I know how my particular formula and my operating system works. So I know that whenever I'm operating from here on out, it needs to be something that I'm truly and actually passionate about because it it needs to be something that I have a real why for. And if it is, well, then, you know, I'm relentless. (laughs) Yeah. And so is the universe. It's happening. The resources show up to fund (laughs) essentially this account that you've now allowed to be open completely. I'm hearing you say that It's about a personal why, a personal connection to the what, and having that why show up. Do you feel like that's something that is exclusive to adulthood, or do you feel like that's something that could possibly be explored in childhood? I I think it comes from childhood. I mean, my whys come from the truths that I've held about what I really wanted to do with my life from the time I realized that I had a consciousness and 
what I mean by that is, you know, there's that point in your childhood where you kind of have your first set of memories mm-hmm. or you start realizing the differentiation of yourself as a person in regards to your environment. Like when I had that kick, I had a very like Simba Mufasa moment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what is this thing? What is this life? Who are these people? Parents? What? Is, oh, you, I can't go there because I'm seven? What? <laughs> <laughs> but I was... I, I make this joke with my friends all the time. It was like, I knew I, I had a prodigy sort of mind since I was a kid. And I had to make a very hard decision. I was like, do I go all the way with this thing? Or do I suffer my intelligence for the sake of comfort and to fit in and to make others around me happy? So in regards to the unschooling paradigm, I think... If I had the opportunity to say anything about parents who might listen to this or even kids or teens or whomever, it's that you don't, and I see you do it already, but you really don't want to like lead the child down a certain path. They come with a package, you know what I'm saying? Like they come, they come with their own instructions and the way that I envision it in regards to my daughter, it's kind of like I'm your liaison. I don't make the decisions for you. I'm here to show you, hey, welcome to planet Earth. This is our internet. This is a telephone. These are libraries. These are different jobs. These are different attitudes. These are different qualities. This is what happens when you adopt any one of these. This is what happens when you adopt another version of these. Make a decision, and I support you regardless. If you make a decision that (laughs) threatens your safety or, you know, <laughs> someone else's life or their own pursuit of happiness, then we'll have to have a talk. But otherwise, you're on your own, but I'm always with you. I I had that mindset in part because it's how I felt growing up. But one of the interesting things that happened to me is as soon as she was born, she rearranged my life because, um, like you said, there needs to be some kind of consistency. That's a decision about what my demeanor is going to be like to my child's learning experience. It needs to be consistent. It needs to come from a strong why. So when she was born, I wouldn't say that my why changed or my outlook towards that experience changed. It it amplified so much that I had to get realer with myself because there is no way that I can look at my daughter and say, you know, believe in yourself, follow your own path, seek your why, organize your reality to to the tone of your desire. Like I couldn't say any of that if I wasn't doing it. So yeah. that's why I saw the little musical chairs thing shift around and, you know, I ran into the woods to become He-Man because <laughs> all of that stuff is part of my passion, part of my skill set. I mean, I need to build a resource, a culture of resource around me to support my varying talents. And I feel like this is everybody. Like every, I feel like everybody is a polymath. But the way that we're conditioned to live and work in this world, it's like you're asked to specialize very, very quickly. I mean, you know, there's like your daughter speak like what three languages and play violin, and guitar, <laughs> and soccer. Won't hesitate to stick their foot sideways if somebody tries to mess with their family like they're whole beings and i've always had that potential and that mentality but man navigating culture is something else (laughs) (laughs) listen continually particularly in parenthood because like marley my oldest is 12 
she loves all the things, you know, she likes to dip in, in and out of different worlds and see what feels good for her. Whereas Sage is not that way. She's like, this is what I like to do. This is all I want to do. Sage makes habits like her goal will be to do everything she can as slowly as possible today. That might be her primary goal for the day. In many environments, that wouldn't be okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, yo, yo, she she chose the right ones. <laughs> she chose the right ones. If we go that far into it as far as like soul contracts and whatnot, I think I made the decision to come to the family, to the situations, to the parents that I did, because I work like a bow and arrow or a crucible. There's something about this <laughs> slingshot energy that like once that bow is released in my life, which kind of started right around 21 when I started parkour and is like left the butt of the arrow now. And now I'm just flying. It's weird and beautiful at the same time because, you know, to to be honest, I'm, I'm no longer with romantically the mother of my child, but our actual relationship towards each other is the best form that it's been since we met now because our meeting actually graduated past its purpose and we've kind of helped each other do our shadow work and heal and whatnot. And so she's the mother of my child. And she understands me fully. Like, she's seen everything come full circle. So she has, like, living proof that my operating system works. But the doubt that she had or the doubt that people have in me currently is because everyone likes the form, but they don't like the function. Like, people like the idea. People like the end product. People like the commodification of Steve Jobs you know, even I'd even throw Kanye in there because he is who he says he is. He just, the world doesn't like people that are self-validated, who forgive themselves for their mistakes before other people do. Because when you actually listen to some of what he says, it makes a lot of sense. But this is a, it's all like a status that I made the other day. It's like, you can't admire the form and not have respect for the function because the point is you're being drawn in because you recognize that power. It's something that you also have, but you fear to access it. And so you're showing up to the movies that are not being advertised to you. In, in a sense, you're showing up to an event. You're showing up to a person, a persona, a personality that... You have your free will to walk away from, but you stand there and criticize. And so one of the, the axioms that I came up with is that ambivalence is power because you are still a witness. That person really didn't matter. If that person really didn't have value, you would not be there trying to find a way to integrate some of their aspects into your operating system. You're there because something that they're doing works you might not be pleased that it works or pleased that it works for them. You might think it's unfair that they have that kind of power, but that's irrelevant. You know, show up and take notes, then leave the poor qualities behind and take the productive ones. And that's how I grow. I show up, I'm like, does this work for this person? Okay, let's find out why it works for them. Let's find out what the, the economy of adopting this new, you know, this new piece of OS can be. What will I have to go through, you know, to embody this? What ridicule? What discipline? What a new diet? What starting from scratch? 
none of these are problems to me because I celebrate the end goal, not what it looks like. I think a lot of the things that you're discussing, Karan, and a lot of the, the realizations that I've personally come to as Akila first, and then as Marley and Sage's mother, and even in my primary relationships, as in with my partner and my brothers and my mother and my father, realizing that school and religion, which is very much connected to school, those, <laughs> those are very much the spaces where we become so fearful. We start out curious. You look at any toddler, the same thing that you're talking about. They look at the ecology of a thing, and then they look at the economy of a thing, and then they practice the pieces that fit for them, and then they will fight like hell against the pieces that don't resonate with who and how they are. I mean, that's a very human thing. Then yes. we then we get schooled and we get churched and then we're told, no, honey, that's not how that works. You do it in this order and you do it. That's that makes what sense to me. almost made me, which is just when you say religion, it, it, it triggered. <laughs> For many of <laughs> it, us. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was the thing. It was the thing that was the root of my shackles. <laughs> it just, I, I smoked it out from the very beginning. I was like, this does not make sense. And so I came to that conclusion, but I wasn't allowed to practice that conclusion. So it's like I evolved and I needed a higher grade of fuel to run on, but I was not given that fuel. And not only was I not given that fuel, because I don't care about people giving me stuff. If I want something, I go get it. But I wasn't even allowed to do that. So I was chained, basically. I didn't expect this to go this deep. <laughs> But um, I mean, it's the truth. I, I started dying a little bit. And so I was dying between 7 and 21. And I don't know how I coped with it. I mean, I really didn't because just ask Howard. Like, I was a mess <laughs> when he met me because it's like putting sugar in a gas tank. Or if you have like a Mercedes and you put like regular unleaded in there, <laughs> it's just not going to work. And yeah. I, was, I was really suffering. I think that's one of the things that it's important for parents to understand that unschooling is not just like a cool new hip way to learn that's more organic. It's like you'll actually save your children and you'll save your relationship with your children and possibly yourself too, because it allows a more complete form of light to enter into their minds. And if that comes into them, then it has an effect on you by default because it radiates. Yeah. You tell me all the time, your daughters are your teachers. <laughs> yeah. Unschooling is funny because it just comes off like this simple little easy idea that, okay, don't, don't let your children go to school. But really, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but really, that shit is everything. Like it's at the seat of me. One of the many things that I was able to access through unschooling is that parenting is so much less about your relationship with your children and so much more about your relationship with managing your own shit versus trying to fix yourself through your relationship with a child. Because oh, you're in a just, yeah. you just said a sermon in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a position of privilege, right? You know, you look at any relationship and for us too as island people, as Caribbean people, we know what that looks like. We come from these traditional I'm making an assumption here, but generally Caribbean people come from a tradition where it's rooted in, in my opinion, fear, understandable fear, and respectability politics, right? Because you need to look safe for the people in power. 
And so you in turn become that person of power. So you beat because if you don't beat your child, somebody else is going to beat your child. I think I figured it out because when I realized this, I tried to double back and kind of return with my Marco Polo gifts <laughs> and they wasn't having it. <laughs> I, it hurt. And I realized what it is, is that it's a trained to a traumatic, traumatic cell level. It's a trained ideology of scarcity. And it's the behavior of fear and scarcity that's ever present. Your kid's Caribbean experience is very different from my Caribbean experience. Right. And I realized that that, that is one of my whys as well. It's like, man, don't anybody have to go through what I went through? <laughs> I need to find a way to change that. And so I went through that little um, eye through the needle where I realized that it's not my job to change anybody, not in the way that I thought. It's like literally you just kind of have to be your unschooled self yep. and your radiation will extend past your household. Every time. And it allows you to face yourself. And you spoke earlier about shadow work and those sort of things. And you're constantly in a state of recognizing that because I've spent so many years trained as the should. And now I'm the am from the should to the am. And that am space takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of personal leadership, which is where we started, which is why I wanted to talk to you in particular, because you say things like the economy of something. And I'm not sure whether people understand that. So it's like, what does it take? What does this run on? Whatever I need to shed or introduce, or I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm willing to do that, which is very much an unschooled mindset. So can you give us, Karan, for those of us who are like, man, this is not woo-woo shit. Can you take it on out of the ether a little bit and give us a solid example of, for example, is it pronounced Palo? Yes. Yes. But, um, to describe, because Palo is part of like an approach. So I'll just explain the approach. So... <laughs> It's funny how everything starts with a party, right? So <laughs> I was at this party. <laughs> I was at this party. <laughs> and it was a, it was an art show, I believe. And my back was killing me. And the reason that my parkour progression had suffered is because, again, I was trying to do the being half myself thing. I was working at an ice cream shop of all places. I worked at an ice cream shop. I worked at, like, Godiva as well. I worked at Sam Flax. And those are kind of like the main places I'd been employed at. But I would always go back and forth between art and parkour because unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, there were two methods of me balancing my sexual energy. So the art was for my feminine energy and the parkour was for my masculine energy. Um, my masculine energy up until that point had expressed itself as depression, frustration, anger, and a lot of pain bodies surrounding my heart chakra. Oh, wait, you said bring this out of the ether. My bad. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk. Let's talk. Yeah, with, um, with where I came, the, the point that I am right now with my physicality came from a moment of frustration. And that usually comes to a point of like fed upness. Maybe it's like a Caribbean trigger thing. Like I get fed up with the situation and I'm like, I'm going to fix this. And I will not see the back of my eyelids until this is fixed. Yeah. I get very, it, it's, it's an enjoyable period because I can feel like these switches being pulled in and I turn into like this hunter gatherer yes. where I decide that that wildebeest is mine. And that's that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been chasing this wildebeest for like a year and a half, but 
but it's like once that switch is flipped, I don't know what fatigue is. I don't know what giving up is. I don't know what frustration is because I've like made this this pact with myself that no one can see. So once I make a decision, it's like I don't know. I call upon the the seven C's and things start working. <laughs> so I'm at this party, my back hurts. It's been hurting for a while. I don't really understand what's going on with my body, my joints, my health, my parkour technique. I love what I do, but I'm paying for it because I'm not intelligent enough about the processes. I've just been copying what other people say the correct forms are, and I don't believe in that. I'm the kind of person where, in, um, and this is where I kind of like lose company sometimes, but I'm the kind of person where I do this thing called preserving the innocence. And I'm glad that you you got me saying this because I've never told anybody this before. So let's say you want to build a house, right? You can pick up a book about architecture or you can go on YouTube and learn, like, this is how you build a house. You The instructions are readily available because someone has come from behind you and done it before. There's a book about it. There's a class about it. There's, there's a professional or mentor that you can approach. And there's a thing that I do, and I, I don't do it all the time. I choose it for select things where I will bypass any available information and I will learn how to do it as if I was discovering it for the first time. And what I've discovered is that doing that process does something to your brain. I can't explain what it is. I, I, I don't have a name for it. Uh, um, it's very hard to describe, but it's like when you have information and you negate it and you try to do the thing as if you were faced, you were like the first person in history to be faced with it for the first time. It does something what I like to call it preserves your innocence because you're going to approach it the way that you would approach it. Kind of like, you know, the same bird on different continents solving the same survival problem by evolving in a similar manner. And from a biological perspective, look how valuable that is to the species. So it's like you're exercising your mind, you're exercising your evolutionary ability, your flexing. And I try to explain that to people and they're like, you're just stubborn. Why you always got to do shit the hard way? It's like, look, it's not that I'm doing shit the hard way. It's that I'm doing shit from the ground up by myself because I'm flexing that muscle. If you don't, then when you're trapped without help, you don't know how to act because you've never learned how to figure it out on your own. Yeah. And that's also a part of your personal ecology. That is what you need to embody your Eunice, whereas another person might be more about innovating on top of something that already exists, which is okay too. The problem though, is that we're in a society where this homogenous approach to learning. Yeah, it's like, it's okay too, but it's gotten to a point where we don't even innovate anymore. We just copy. We just say, oh, that's what Frank said. And that's how Frank said to do it. Then we'll all do it like Frank. And so we just like, as a culture, just stopped innovating completely. We wait for the other guy to say what it is or do what it is. And I'm like, I got two hands, two feet. Yeah. Don't tell me I can't do anything that those people in Rio right now just did. Yep. I have two hands, two feet. So I was getting injured all the time or my, I would have a knee thing or a shoulder thing. And particularly with my back, it would pop, it would get tight. I would get very muscle bound because I'm explosive in the way that I move. But the energy wasn't traveling. I know now that the energy wasn't given a free path to travel through my body. So it would get stuck in my muscles as tension. 
So I would literally be muscle bound and it would pull on my bones. And so there was that going on. There was my diet. There was also my art career that wasn't really taking off in the way that I wanted it to because, again, my frequency wasn't in the right place. And um, it's so weird. It's like you can have all your ducks in a row. You can make all the postcards, the websites, the business cards, go to all the meetings. And it won't matter if that frequency isn't right. So I take full responsibility for that now. It was it was very a very hard pill to swallow, but that did not become what I hoped for it to be at the time because I just still had more to unfold. So I dabbled, I'll jump back and forth between that and parkour. And I usually go back to the painting when I was too injured to keep doing it. <laughs> Or it got cold because I don't like the winter. It's (laughs) it's coldness. (laughs) I hear you. I don't know what went through my mind to go visit Howard in Colorado in the (laughs) wintertime. Like, what What was that? But But I will tell you what I was thinking because it wasn't so much visiting him as that traveling to Colorado was part of that relentlessness mission. So this is what I'm saying. It's like the preferences I do have. When I make up my mind and I go full Power Ranger, like none of that matters. I just do it. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, like two we feet of snow. <laughs> yeah, we were like, oh my God, we can't go outside. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, y'all did come for like yeah. two days. Then I didn't see y'all after that. Yeah, we were there for about a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but so, okay, so that entire journey was wow it was like an accelerated lesson spirit knew it was sending my daughter that year so it put me on this little exodus to grow me up to become a father because i tell you like i'm a completely different person now than i was a year ago and i realized that i needed to go through all of that in order to be a father because it was like they're like we're gonna send her to you but you ain't ready so we not we need to send you on a little little rocky mission real quick (laughs) (laughs) so it went recognition of being suppressed yet again leaving yet again moving into an apartment in atlanta starting up my engine yet again running into another suppressive person yet again and it's it's what it was is like i was going through this gulag of okay you learned all these vibrational lessons now smite this kind of company from your presence and do it by yourself and go. And it was just a year of that. <laughs> it's almost like I was being tested. It was like Bashar says, it's like the universe will ask, well, you say you've changed. Have you really changed? It's like, it'll put echoes in your path to make sure that you are complicit about, no, I'm a new person. And so I had like back to back, like machine gun fire aimed at my chest in that regard with certain situations. And then it led up with a gift on the other side. So what happened was, came out from the party, back hurting, trying to find a way to make my back stop hurting that night. Like I made up my mind, like I'm going to stay up while I play uh, Motorcycle Diaries in the background. I'm going to figure this shit out tonight. (laughs) And I stayed up all night and I found this group led by, I guess, a company that I'll, I'll keep the name off the record, but I'll tell you about it later. This company was putting out this uh, movement practice, this new program that they were going to sell, something to the tone of Taibo or P90X, but about balance, about pressure-based movement, about natural movement. And I looked through it. I learned the technique. I do the technique. And I didn't know this at the time, but 
when I did that, they had a board meeting about me because I was the first person to do it right that they shared it with online in this little trial group. And I, I was doing it better than the creator. So I, I don't know any of this is going on. I was just like, I need to stop hurting and I'm just going to try this. And they're like, oh, that feels nice. Oh, okay, like this. Oh, okay, I kind of feel like a ninja. Ha-ha. Like, it was great. I was satisfied and I took my ass back to sleep. <laughs> so I wake up to this message from this guy calling me like, oh, man, do you know what you just did? You need to fly out to California. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you need to fly out to California and train with me. So I'm like elated and like bouncing off the walls. Like, is this really happening? So I just pack and get ready. And then he sends me a ticket maybe that weekend. And I fly there Sunday and I'm standing on the beach in San Diego. And I'm sure this guy is showing me like hand movements, running techniques, breathing techniques, qigong. I mean, we're fighting on the, the, the California coast, you know, shadow boxing and stuff. And I'm in like, oh, man, this is amazing. But it fell through because he was using my newfound power to sell his product. What was happening simultaneously is that he was stealing intellectual property about fitness and movement from someone else. And when I found that out, I was like, fuck. Because on principle, I had to leave. Like, I'm not going to do this. Like, you're stealing somebody else's shit. Not only that, but as a result, he was sharing poor information with people and incomplete information with people because he didn't understand the principles. So in the long run, he would actually have people hurt themselves. Yeah, he was giving people incorrect information, telling you, hey, bend your knee this way and clench your fist this way and you jump higher it's like oh that doesn't work that way what do you why are you telling them that <laughs> that's dangerous so when i realized what happened i was like what the fuck i need to leave i don't know what i'm gonna do or where i'm gonna go i don't even have a place to stay but well shit like i started on this journey because i wanted to get better at moving my body or understanding my body so the journey just continues so the conclusion that i came to is i was like well some of this was working and it was working because it came from a source that was like the true creator the true originator mm -hmm. who has a very unique os that i cannot replicate on my own because i mentioned that earlier where sometimes i preserve my innocence to do something for the first time yeah. but when it comes to the human body I was not de-schooled about physiology that I was taught in PE or fitness magazines or school or mm -hmm. textbooks. Mm -hmm. So it would have been too lengthy and hefty of a task. It, well, let me just go to the source. So I traveled in some cockamamie way from San Diego <laughs> to Sacramento to meet the originator. And it was like some Mr. Miyagi shit. Like... <laughs> <laughs> He, the first thing he says, he's like, he's like, you're swole and you're in shape, but you're clumsy because you can't feel your feet. I'm like, what? He's like, you can't feel your feet. Take off your shoes. I am George of the Jungle 24-7. It's so true. You can see with your feet. And one of the greatest cons about culture is that shoes will make you perform better. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. You were born, you fall out of the womb, hit the ground running with everything that you need and all of these sports gadgets i don't wear lifting belts i don't get sprains i don't wear gloves i don't wear shoes and i lift more than most people of my weight <clears throat> like i run faster than most people my size i and even where some of my physical abilities aren't something that's 
notable as far as like a record of some kind. The fact is that I can do 10 different things very well with balance and strength, whereas most people in sports, they specialize and they could just do that one trick. And it's not a sense to gloat. It's a sense of, I'm not saying it's because I am who I am. I'm saying that everybody can do this, yeah. but we've been wallied out of our power. Like yeah. those- <laughs> I know the audio was kind of wonky in that segment, but I wanted to leave it in in his voice because I find his journey so interesting. And I know so many aspects of it are so relatable for a lot of us. You know, it brings me right back to the belief that if we as adults can manage to see the signs and get the clues about who the children around us actually are, then we can help them develop that level of confident autonomy that says, yeah, I can do anything that I put my mind to, not because somebody hyped me up with a pep talk that's actually going to fizzle out when I fail for the first time, but because I have plenty practice seeing my abilities and intentions come from ideas in my mind to realities that I live which is why on the show you'll hear me talking about unschooling, which is how this work shows up for us, but also some of the other spaces, the learning centers, and later on we'll talk to folks from Freedom Schools who are helping children to practice that same space of looking at ideas come from their mind to realities that they live, failing at things, being able to communicate their needs around people who may have different opinions without a fear of retaliation of some sort. These sort of basic life skills that we don't get to practice because we are being oppressed in childhood. It's that simple, y'all. And I encounter so many people who look at this like, why would you take this on? Of all the things that are happening in the world, you're going to bother people about whether or not they hit their children or these sort of things that may come off as maybe trivial, which sounds crazy as shit to me, but um, comes off trivial to some people. Listen, We are the same people who we have to deal with in adulthood and hurt people hurt people. And as is the dope motto of the Anna Julia Cooper Learning Center that's coming up in Atlanta, free people, free people, right? So if we're raising people from a sense of pain and fear and coercion, then that's what we respond to. That's the language that we'll speak in adulthood. And then we have the opportunity to do the opposite as well. So... I think that one of the most expensive fares that we pay in childhood is our parents' unresolved emotional baggage. When we as adults hit our heads against the walls of failure and we have those feelings reinforced by systems like school that tell us to avoid mistakes because they are punishable, then we don't learn how to use mistakes as learning resources. We, we tend to see them as a source of shame. I know that was my reality for so, so many years before I started unpacking this stuff through unschooling. So mistakes are something that we learn to vilify. We develop shame around them. Who wants to be wrong out loud, right? (laughs) Who wants to be seen as the one who didn't get the right answer? Straight A's are rewarded and everything else is frowned upon. This hampers our ability to grow in our knowledge of self because we're not feeling through our own operating system. We're trying desperately to match up with someone else's idea of how we should operate. And that's what Karan and I spent a gang of time discussing. Listen, (laughs) this podcast would be like three hours long if I left in all the stones that we unturned. It was such a good dialogue, but I left in all the juiciest bits, I promise. So let's pick back up. 
So many of us, Karan, and you may know this from just being on the freaking planet. So many of us have no idea how we work. None. Constantly, we're trying to find ourselves through other people and through mimicry and all of these sort of things. So what do you attribute? Because I think this is really important. Even though you always had a sense of self, is what I hear you saying. But at some point, as you said, from seven to about 21, there was a stuckness. There was this sense of being shackled. What shifted? What allowed you to start to explore and and get a level of comfort with how you work? How did you even identify how you work? To be honest, I got to a point where I didn't love myself anymore at all based on the environment that I was in. And I will say that fully and wholeheartedly so because I'd been making excuses for them my entire life. And it's really weird because just about a few days ago, I finally cut myself off from my family in that sense because they were entirely toxic to the process of me being myself or learning or growing in any fashion because it represented that they refused to grow or learn or change or be honest or tackle pain bodies and so on. And so I was being slowly poisoned to death and I tried to take my own life. It didn't work, thankfully. And when I came out of that, I realized that I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to be where I was because I wasn't loved for who I, who I was. And It's so funny. I come out knowing that, and then I still try to fix my relationship with them. And it wasn't until a few days ago I didn't realize that they weren't mistaken and they didn't, they weren't ignorant of how it was affecting me. And that did not click until about a week ago. And so I completely walked away from my family in that regard. So, yeah, I hear that. And I think it's very courageous because so many of us live, and I venture to say die, without that sense of rebirth, a recognition that yourself, however that is showing up, is valid, much less valuable. So many of us just cannot walk that road for whatever reason. And for me, that whatever reason has a lot to do with religiosity and school, because it's the foundational place where we're supposed to be something And we're pushed and pushed. And you even said it, Karan. You said, I came out of that. And then I still tried to fix my relationship with them. That mindset comes from the schooling. Look, if you didn't get it right, it's not about the teacher. It's not about the system. It's about you. Because it's like I almost died at my own hand and they showed no remorse for it at all. It's like it could have just happened and they would have found a way to explain it to the rest of our family that, I was just mistaken and troubled and they they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. It's like, y'all were... Uh. <laughs> to be honest, I got to a point where I didn't love myself anymore at all based on the environment that I was in. I'd been making excuses for them my entire life. And I finally cut myself off from my family in that sense because they were entirely toxic to the process of me being myself or learning or growing in any fashion. I tried to take my own life. It didn't work, thankfully. And when I came out of that, I realized that I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to be where I was because I wasn't loved who I was. What did the shift look like? How are you different now than at 21? What are you doing differently? I 
do what I want. <laughs> what a radical I, idea. I, I, I do what I want from the position of a why. So it's not recklessness and it's not, it's not me seeking frivolousness or a lack of responsibility. I do what I want and I do it to perfection because it is of a service. It is me fashioning myself into an intelligence that can share this intelligence. Well, physically, like the main thing is I'm balancing my body. Like I talk to all my body parts now. One of the things that I was told from a work, an energy worker, he was like, part of the reason that you don't have a relationship with your feet and that it was important for you to go down this path is the trauma that you've ensued, it disconnected you from your limbs. And that's why I enjoyed parkour, why I think I was being drawn to it in the first place. It was an activity that put me back in a relationship with my body. Mm-hmm. I started feeling myself again. I started feeling comfortable in my skin. I started talking to my limbs and my tissues and my sinews. And we were forming a relationship, like the whole thing. I felt at rest in my ship. It's like I, I've come to a point of like fashioning myself physically where my body is talking to me like, Quran, I don't want these things anymore. Or Quran, I need some more water. Or Quran, we need to go to sleep. And so my diet is changing because I'm being asked for it to change by my subconscious and my body like it has its own mind telling me like, look, I love what you're doing and I understand what you want. But since we have this communication link open now, I'm going to tell you that if you want that, you're going to have to drink more water. You're going to have to meditate. You're going to have to do some nowly. You're going to have to walk barefoot for a couple of miles per day because I need that kind of nourishment. So it's like it's talking to me and telling me what it needs to perform what I desire to perform. Like if I want to jump across this bridge next to the MLK building I can do it, but it is saying, I'm going to need you to sleep. I'm going to need you to practice this. I'm going to need you to get a vegetarian diet now. And if you do eat meat, make sure it's organic. Like I'm getting like direct instruction. Yes. I'm being schooled by myself. Yes. That sense. yes, it does. And there it is again, the ecology of a thing like these relationships now exist because you nurtured them and you made the decision. So now all of the resources now have a space to come through to communicate with you, whereas they did not before. Yes. It's like I, I ask a question about something that I want to create and I'm told, okay, you can do that, but you have to go to Guadalajara for four months and drink this tea. And go here and talk to this person. So the resounding example is I no longer have to inquire without. I only inquire within. Within. Mm -hmm. And the only time that I ever require without is if the inquiry that I make within tells me to do so. (laughs) Because it knows that it's more efficient at times for me to co-create with someone else than trying to do everything from scratch. Absolutely. And I mean, everything you're talking about is very much my understanding of unschooling as well. It doesn't mean that you're not going to take a class, for example, but you will only take it of your own volition. You will only take it if it makes sense for a part of your process. And you might not finish the shit because you might not need to. I had to give up feeling guilty (laughs) about not finishing books because I realized that I'll be sent a book to only read two chapters. 
Because that's the only place that I can find that information and spirit knows that. So it sends me to the book and they're like, okay, now you're done. Now let somebody else borrow it. Like, right. <laughs> no, but schooling says, no, you finish the thing because that's where the sense of accomplishment comes from. And again, that's without, that's outside of you. Now imagine that your interaction with your child determines whether they feel loved for who they are or whether they feel like they're being slowly poisoned by the things that work for you, but are actually toxic for them. Now, I don't know Karan's mama or his daddy, but I do know that there were several critical moments in my life between childhood straight into adulthood, I'm almost 40 now, where my mother was able to see past what made sense for her and make room for some particular ways where I was and am very different from her. My mother, with as many issues as we had while I was growing up, (laughs) somehow learned how to make space for a girl who probably did not make sense to her a lot of the times. And that helped me to build confident autonomy and to push back or dismiss some of the bullshit that I was being force-fed in school and later on in my various careers. So I'm happy to hear and know that Karan was able to create space for himself to usher in and walk through his own transformation over from that suppressed, self-hating self into the empowered, present, curious, and connected being that he's building now. And if you go to Karan's Patreon page, it's in the show notes, it's patreon.com forward slash aspernaut, you'll see his To Build a Tracer movement. So in this last segment, Karan talks about the culmination of his transformation and how that ties into this movement, the To Build a Tracer movement. So if you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, the link is in the show notes at akilasrichards.com forward slash movement. In the meantime, let's get back to this last bit of Quran's journey. To to wrap up the transformation, I went to see Adarian, that's his name. He has a company called Bar Running. And that was the guy that I went to help me de-school fitness. So he was that master sage that showed me where I would have already ended up, but spirit saw at best that, look, man, save yourself the trouble. Just go learn from him. It's going to be a winding road, and I'm going to test you three times before this. But if you pass the test and you change like you really say you've changed, this is going to be your haven. I'm going to send you to this master teacher, basically. Darren really pulled me out of the matrix as far as fitness concerned and made me realize like, yo, all this stuff that we use in the Western world, there are men, women, and tribes in Papua New Guinea right now that don't have no Nikes, don't have no Gatorade, don't have no chiropractor, don't get massages, you know what I'm saying? Don't have any step counters, don't have a low cholesterol diet, don't have all these drugs, don't have these supplements, don't go to Whole Foods. <laughs> they live in bruh. They are stronger than we can imagine because we measure strength through things like how much do you bench? How much do you do this? Can you kill a warthog by yourself (laughs) after starving for three days, throw it on your back and walk 20 miles back to your village? That's the kind of shit that they can do. That is that when I say to build a tracer, the goal is for me to be able to do that and still work my iPhone. Like that is to build a tracer. (laughs) I love it. My name is Karan, and I am from Trinidad and Tobago. I was born in D.C., and my parents moved back to Trinidad about a year after. I was fashioned in the fire in the Caribbean, (laughs) (laughs) and I moved to the U.S. when I was 13. Oh, boy. (laughs) That culture shock hit me like, whoa. (laughs) 
we okay. moved to Chambly, Georgia. Okay. okay, so you've been in ATL for a while. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 27. Okay. Who are you now? Tell me a little bit about um, what you do. Like, how do you spend your days and, and what matters right now to Quran? I am a channel. And I realize that the capacity for information and expansion that I've desired all my life came at the cost and the economy of being brave enough to stand alone for extended periods of time. And that solitude is really the, the journey between two selves. There was the old Quran. And in order to gain the capacity of the one that I knew I could be, there was a little bit of uh, 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of like, yay, do I walk to take it alone? But I'm on the other side of that now. So I'm just like aligning with new people, making new friends, coming into new capacities of my power. And I just had to do the never ending story thing and just trust <laughs> and just walk through the gate. <laughs> I wake up, I feed in every sense of the word. Like I wake up and I listen to this track by Neuro Beats, um, listen to a little Napoleon Hill, Neville Goddard. Yo, like I'm, I'm like a transmission tower. Like I just download information. I'm a walking terabyte. So I download, whether it's from a lecture, a video, a book, a quote, down a direct download where I have to sit there and channel and then write out what's being channeled to me and then reread it for myself because I'm not always present when I'm channeling. I train. I try to put in at least like two miles barefoot a day just walking. I haven't been doing any parkour training necessarily daily because I'm in this like energy storage period because I'm about to do something. I'm about to sh uh, shoot a show reel and I'm going to need a rather intense amount of energy for it. So I've just been collecting. I sunbathe a lot. I do palo. Um, I do some deep breathing exercises, diaphragmic breathing exercises that I found I'm learning how to understand or feel for chi through breathing. And so that's, that is a current homework that I do every day now. And as it continues, I'm getting stronger, more flexible, more balanced. I'm really learning it from the ground up. Like the birth of martial arts, I don't remember the name of the guy, but he went in a cave and meditated for eight years. And then he came out like whooping ass. <laughs> <laughs> so... I feel like this period where my daily practice now is to play with the subtle energy. That's everything from walking, climbing, hiking, deep breathing exercises, palo, drinking the sun, communicating with the grass, standing in the dirt and feeling my chi shift from limb to limb as I punch. Like my daily homework right now is playing with amplifying and learning how to understand and communicate with the subtle energies. You can find me on my Patreon. It is the primary source to communicate with me now as far as my training is concerned, where people can find the most recent videos of the effects of my training, advice videos that I share, instructional videos that I share. I have a seminar that I did at a dojo for some martial artists, like helping them correct their balance and um, sort out some sore spots because a lot of them were injured and I showed them like kind of how to move through that. It was, it was a lot of fun because it's really weird to walk into like an ancient training system and say, 
hey, did you guys consider this? <laughs> and, and and it was all love. Like, I, I really appreciate them for allowing me to do that because I was a little scared. <laughs> but, um, yeah, my, my Patreon, and in the description, uh, I have a little bio written up there where people can understand, like, what is it that I'm trying to do? What I need support for? I mean, primarily now it's just capturing services. I do a lot that people don't see because I don't have a way to film it. But that's what I'm working on. I'm wanting to gain some more tools to expand what I'm able to share more readily. The other place that people can connect with me is sort of like a direct stream of all my activity is Instagram at Aspronaut. All right, good people. That is today's show. Thank you for being here as always to keep up with Karan's work. Check out his Patreon And also come back, obviously, to this show because I'll be talking with other adult unschoolers to really just help bring some clarity around how learning happens, okay? So if you got something good from this episode, please share the show link with a friend. And a special shout out and big beams of love and light to Kelly Love Jones, whose original song is what you heard at the top of this episode. And I'm going to wheel up and bring it back again at the end of this episode. It's such a perfect fit for this episode, and I think I'm just going to keep on using it for the show. Let me know what you think. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking to you again next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fair of the Free Child with Akila S. Richards. Find Akila online. She's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radical Selfie. Travel here and yonder. I love to fly, 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 fly away. Get up on that greyhound, mm-hmm, yeah. Might go through your town, might go through your town. Get up in that valley way down low. That's where I wanna go, wanna go. Cause ain't nobody gonna stop me, not me. I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get up, cause I am so brave.